Uh, Gary and Beverly Price, uh, about, well, it was in 1981, Shirley and I came to Texas. I'd been asked to come and pastor a church called Christ Church. It was a new thing. It didn't start right. Uh, some of you who are old-time Arling, Arlingtonites may know about it. Huh? Arlingtonians, that's better. Uh, 300 people broke away from First Methodist Church here in Arlington in 79. And uh, they had asked the, I don't know if you know the Methodist system, but it's an appointive system. There's a bishop and he appoints to different churches and there's a district superintendent over different areas. And uh, there was a fairly large group at First Methodist that were called, you could call them conservatives or evangelicals. And the church was getting pretty liberal and uh, so they had been asking the bishop if he would not, if he would mind sending an evangelical as one of the pastors, one of the pastors on the staff. But they were told, no, we won't do that. So uh, there was about 300 of them that decided we're going to form our own church. So three strong businessmen and about 300 left the church one day. And from one Sunday till the next, the choir went down from what? About 65 to 80. Sunday school teachers, nearly all of them left. Uh, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. And we didn't know all this till a little later. But uh, we came home from Ecuador. Just keep that in your mind. We came home from Ecuador in 75 on furlough. And Shirley and I have a Methodist background. I was in the Methodist system for 14 years before we went to South America. And uh, when we came home uh, on furlough, I got sick in about two months and we weren't able to go back. So uh, we worked at headquarters in Indiana for a couple of years and Shirley got involved in a Bible study. And it became a very growing church then, and I was asked to join the staff uh, of be the second pastor of that church, and it just grew by leaps and bounds. Well, some circumstances and so forth, and uh, this church did not have a pastor here when they started. They were eight months without a pastor. And then they hired a fellow who came from, in fact, he was in Duncanville. Some of you people live in Duncanville. Uh, he came and was here for eight months as pastor of that church called Christ Church. And then he left. Well, we had been contacted right after that. Not before, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, because I have a Methodist background and one of our supporters from Illinois who supported us in missions had a son-in-law who was a pastor in Watauga. Well these three businessmen that ran Christ Church that word run, ran, okay, keep that in mind. Uh, they wanted a Methodist a fellow with a Methodist background so our supporters in Illinois told 
this their son-in-law in Watauga that we were looking for a pastorate. Well, these three businessmen had asked that fellow in Watauga to come and preach on Sunday morning early and then go back to his church. So for eight months, he did that. Well, in the process, he found out that we were looking. And uh, so he told these three guys that I was available. We got a phone call on uh, during Thanksgiving week of 80. Yeah, of 80 asking if we'd be interested in coming. And we said no, because our kids have just gotten started in school well in Indiana, and uh, we didn't want to take them out of school. So in uh, just before Christmas, I mean just before thanks, just before Easter, I'm sorry, in March of that next year, 81, they called again and said, well, we haven't found a pastor yet, and we'd really like to have you come. So I said, well, as of this morning, I'm free. Because uh, I felt like it was time that we left the church where I had been asked to be the associate for those two years. And so uh, to make a long story short, they flew us down the next two or three weeks and we visited and preached and met some of the people. And So we came in... Uh, the summer of 81 to Christ Church. It was meeting in Quality Inn over on East Division, which is has been destroyed because of the stadium. It's Jerry's world now. But uh, we met there for a couple of years. And then uh, we bought the building, which is, uh, you know, on 303, there's a, a Presbyterian church. Right on across the street from Fielder Road, there's a metal building, and it's part of the Presbyterian Church, and then they build a brand new building just a little bit east of there. We bought that building and were there for two or three years. And then in 85, we built the building down on I-20, which now is Grace Prep. And uh, so we built that and got into it in 85. Well, to make a long story short, about a year after we came, uh, we needed a nursery lady. Isn't that right, Beverly? Or, you were already there. Beverly was working in the nursery when we came at Christ Church. So uh, she's known us for a good many years. And uh, Gary and Beverly have just been sweet people, and we've enjoyed their fellowship. And uh, they're some of the few people we know that have been married longer than we have. We've been a part of their lives and they've been a part of our lives for these years. We'd also ask the Arnolds to be here, which is uh, Tracy Hutchison's mother and dad. But uh, Gail is not well. She called last night and they just felt like they couldn't. What we wanted to do is just uh, answer some questions. Okay? And we want to be real honest. If you ask a question and we didn't do it right, we're going to tell you. Okay, this isn't the way you do it. If we feel like we did do it right, we'll try to tell you that also. Is that all right? But be kind with us, okay? <laughs> so, uh, can you all see these three over here? See them all right? 
Why don't you, Beverly and Gary, why don't you just scoot around there a little bit by Shirley? Would that be all right? Huh? Can you stand up? I thought maybe we were all too old. Yeah, we can all stand up here. This is all right. And then this microphone will pick it up. We, we may be old, but we can still manage. So, we'd like it just to be a off the cuff. Is that all right? Something that you need an answer for. And uh, whether we give you the right answer or not, we're going to give you one. Is that okay? <laughs> I have a question. This is for your wife. Um, I came from a missionary background. My dad was a pastor. And frequently my parents would get into an argument and my dad would start binding Satan and pray right then and there. And so that would always press a button with me because my mom didn't want to pray at that point. She wanted to finish the argument. How do you, because you said you take strongholds and you have, you have control, knowing that spiritually, but yet still wanting to get heard and your point across, how do you, as the wife of, of a headhold in a spiritual home, I guess, how do you, what, how do you, get the point across that you want to finish the argument but you still want to be able to pray and you still want God to be there but yet you're angry at that moment. What would be the best way to deal with that? Because he's always wanting to pray and I always want to finish the fight. Well, you have to understand we didn't learn about binding the enemy until we came down here and we got into it, you know, simply by accident. So that left uh, 25 or 30 years that we weren't operating under that system. <laughs> And when we used to get mad and have an argument, he clammed up. He wouldn't talk to me for a week or so. And so I didn't have anybody to argue with. So. You can ride in the car with me anytime. No, I'm, I'm at my dead level worst when I get behind the wheel of a car. You know, I can just, mm, the people that do the dumbest things. Okay. I guess my question is, do you feel like ever that, I mean, it's probably, you probably don't do it in the way that my father did, but I always feel like it's spiritual as an issue. I feel like that we should finish the fight and maybe then pray later after we're both calmed down. Or what, what's the best time to pray, I guess, is my question over that. Anytime, all the time. <laughs> uh, no, I don't guess we've gotten into a, well, we did get into one serious, long argument uh, 20, 30 years ago. And I ended it, I think. I think I did. That's the way I perceive it anyhow. We've always said, never thought about divorce. Murder a lot of times, but not divorce. <laughs> uh, but when I really was close and determined that divorce was the answer to it, he, I think he decided, guess maybe I better straighten up or quit what I'm doing or something. Because, but that's the, that, that's probably the, the biggest and the last really argument we've had. 30 years ago? What, what's, yep. What's the purpose of finishing the fight? Versus, I mean, is there still something you yeah, have that was If you're angry, yeah, you I can't. shouldn't stop at that moment and pray. You should, you should at least calm down so you can mean what you say to God. Um, I guess for me, praying in the middle of the fight allows him to not have to hear what I have to say. Okay. Well, can't you sometimes, if it's if it's not something that is urgent, has to be dealt with right away, you can kind of 
let it rest a day, like let both people think about it a little bit and come back address it later? That would be the ideal thing, is that you, you want to be heard, and you just need to snuggle up to him some day and say, you know, I don't think you heard me then, and but I'm going to tell you now. Uh, you know, when neither one of you are particularly angry, uh, I don't feel like I'm being heard in this area. You, you shut me off in the middle of an argument, which may be a good thing. Uh, you have neither one of you gone through and said more things than you should have, and I still think that a woman's best virtue is biting her tongue because that's where we get into most of our trouble. It just saying too much. Uh, men talk for information, women talk for recreation. So. Amen, <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> We're trying to build rapport. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, you have anything to add to that, Beverly? Yes. Her father was a pastor, so. Yes. I was, my father was a pastor as well. Quite frankly, I do not recall them ever arguing. And they were married 65 years before they passed away. I truthfully do not remember them arguing. My daddy was the kind of person that was just so kind and so loving all my life that uh, we just didn't argue. Now we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, our kids have, have said to us, you didn't teach us how to argue or how to fight because we never heard you doing this. Well, I'm sure we did have arguments, but I think we did them out of earshot of the kids somewhere they weren't around. And that, that is something that, well, we didn't learn to fight in church either because you just don't talk about it, you know. Uh, they didn't learn to fight or argue right, and that was a disservice that we did to them in not teaching them that you are going to have conflict. It just is going to happen. Because you can't mix two worlds into one easily or smoothly. And they need to learn how to do that. Michelle? I was going to say to her, um, maybe, maybe um, after you get done praying, you could write down everything that you're feeling, and then when you're both, you know, getting down and you're not you can talk about your feelings and what's bothering you. Yeah, I mean, I have a one, three, and five-year-old, and so... spiritualizing it. No, I'm just, I just want to pray. It's, it's a button. Mm -hmm. It's a trigger from, um, from a dad who you know, <coughs> screwed things up. 
And so, are you asking how to get around the trigger? I'm the just button? asking when the best time to pray is. I mean, I know part of it is my issue, but are you allowed to pray at, at the end of the flight, or do you need to pray in the middle of the flight? I guess I'm trying to figure out how to fight. Can you finish the fight before you pray? Because the way I felt, like you described it, was you know you have control. Therefore, if you hear yourself fighting in the middle of the fight, take hands and pray right then and agree that this isn't going to continue. And my point is, I want the pots the way I want the pots. <laughs> what, what would, how would this work? I don't know. I'm just throw this out here. I think the husband and wife has to agree together how to do it. If you can talk about it at a very calm time, okay, how are we going to handle some conflict? How are we going to do it? Are we, we're going to pray right now that the Lord will help us, but how can we, how do we decide together this is the way we're going to go? Now, I think this is a big problem many times. Many times women are heard. And if we are gung-ho that we're the spiritual leaders and we're going to do it, then I think many times, at least I hear this often, the wife feels like she's put down and she doesn't have that opportunity <coughs> to be expressive. That's why you have to agree together, I think. Well, I want to hear you. I want to let you speak. Was, as, as they were talking, I was thinking about that scripture that, that Paul said, you know, that, you know, lots of things are permissible, but what's beneficial okay. in yep. the moment, knowing That's that your good. wife has that vulnerability or that weakness, you know, and it's like, you know, husbands live with your wives in an understanding manner. You know, she's got that, and she, she admitted that she needed to kind of work through that or whatever. And, and I think I think what you said too is that, you know, them making a, a agreement that, okay, we're in the middle of a fight, you know, Maybe we just need to say, okay, I'm going to go pray for a minute to try to calm myself down. Well, I'm going to go pray to calm myself down. Then we can come together and we can pray, you know, like that. But maybe him jumping in and, you know, the, doing the pray thing in the middle of the conversation is, may not be beneficial. And, and see if you agree together, together before it ever happens, when you're in a good state of mind together. Yeah. It'll work better, I think. Like Shirley said, I'd clam up for a week. Well, I would. That wasn't, we didn't agree on that together, see? <laughs> it was all right. I didn't mind. <laughs> so it sounds like you're su suggesting that they need to walk away and calm down before they talk and pray. Um, I suppose. But I think if you agree together, here's how we need to handle conflict when it comes up. Talk about it at a very calm time. Yeah. And I think that will help. I've seen that used to, um, my dad was 50 when I was born, and he had really loved the Bill Gothard series. Mm -hmm. and so I grew up in a really strong um, knowledge of, you know, God, we read the word together and things, but um, I think sometimes my dad relationally didn't have as much experience. He grew up during the Depression, and, you know, the kids didn't always get to, you know, so um, relationally, he felt a little bit weaker. So in <coughs> argument, say with my parents or with me and my dad, um, he'd almost want to run from the argument and want to pray in order to end the argument, hmm. as opposed to okay. dealing with the issue behind why the argument came up. That might have. Yeah, God gave us those arguments because we are different people, and they're sometimes a gift to help us to come to a page where we understand each other better. 
And we didn't argue. I've seen relationships where my friend's mom, they never argued and they divorced because they never communicated. Mm -hmm. So I know arguing is good, but um, maybe you could ask if the reason for praying is fear or if the reason for praying is really a faith, like, will God help us work through this? That's good. You know, but good. I kind of understand where it comes from there. Yeah. I think too the, the other thing that um, the, the wife could do in this situation is understand that for a husband to want to pray um, it, it's quite different than from a husband turning combative because if she's coming at him in a combative way the natural man would combat but what he's seeing in this moment is that that's not the right thing to do and he's powerless and there's one who's more powerful than he is um, the other thing is like I know like I, I you know I've had like compulsions <laughs> to want to have things my way um, could be like a certain brand of a, of a product that I want my wife to buy. And she wants another pot. But what I would also suggest is why do the pots need to be that way? What does it say or what does it what does it do for you that the pots are that way? And what if they're not that way, what is that gonna say about you? And what is you know, what is the fear of that if they're not the way you want them, you know what I'm saying? So we're just learning that. Yeah, we're the learning first, that. Like, first, like, three years, it was the handhelds. Yeah. You take the handhelds and move them and put them all over the house, and it just drive me crazy. <laughs> the handhelds were not in the bathroom where they should be. <laughs> but, you know, I guess I'm learning what are the bigger kind issues. Kind of to release, you know, I, I can release this. Like, I do not have to control the way these things are. It doesn't say something about my identity. You know, or it could be an outfit that you wear. You know, it doesn't make me who I am. Some of these things are just traits that are learned. And also, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love me or he doesn't care about me or she doesn't care about me. It doesn't mean that I'm, you know, I'm less of a person because they are this way or they are not this way. Sometimes, you know, there, there's, um, you know, just constraints that we feel bonds that we put on ourselves that, you know, um, I think maybe in some cases Christ would want to free us from. Okay. What would happen if, let's, let's take the towels, is that all right? Yeah. Or the pans. What would happen if together you were able to discuss and hear each other? Uh, here's why I like these pans. Or here's why I think the towels ought to be here. Which we have later at calmer times. Okay. And I still have to Because I, I, I'd have to disagree to say that arguments are good 
because in our in our arguments they get progressive. Yeah, I don't think get, arguments get, are good. At the end of it, we start saying mean things to each other that later on we regret. Yeah. So because I you do see, think, I do think it's beneficial to stop the argument right in the middle. And and you know what? If you can't pray with me, fine. Go pray by yourself. But but uh, you know what? Just pray right now because I know I cannot solve this and. Uh, continuing to argue about it may just waste another right. hour or two. And, and then but, if, but, if your kids see it, yep. and they hear the ugliness <coughs> that comes out of your mouth. And, and you see, what would happen if together, at a very calm time, you agree, here's how we need to handle things right. when they come up. Yeah. And Well, and ladies, are you really? is it really going to kill you? <clears throat> if the towels aren't where you put them or if the pots aren't in the same order that, you know, is it really gonna kill you? Really, really gonna hurt you? Uh, we've got a new daughter-in-law and she says, you know, I've had to learn a lot of things already. And she says, I'm middle-aged and uh, she says, but my sister says, is this really gonna kill you? Really gonna hurt you if it isn't done your way? She says, give it up, give it a rest. And she says, things are going a little better. <laughs> Either John. one of you? Anything else here? Okay, John? John? Yeah, I think the way in which we argue depends on whether we approach the argument with the objective yeah. to resolve or the objective to win. Uh, that's right. That's, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. 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 It has to be a win-win or it doesn't work. If it's win-lose, you know, if I'm right, you're wrong. And I'll remind you. <laughs> <laughs> This little book Shirley used earlier, you know, she said that there's one place in there that when I say you are wrong, I've judged you and you are guilty and I don't have any plan to change me, but you're the one. Now, it can't be that way in marriage. You can't do that and have peace. And so many marriages... <clears throat> well, you're the wrong. You're, if you'd just shape up, they never say it quite like that. But uh, yes, um, I heard something somewhere at some marriage seminar or somewhere uh, in regards to like if we do for people that like where she was saying with the pots it drives you crazy, with the hand towel drives you crazy. Well, I'm that person. Like I like silverware sort of a certain way. I, I'm, I'm nitpicky. Well, I heard somewhere that this, this wife discovered that the training that they use with animals, where they only encourage the positive and they only comment on the positive, like if the dog sits when they're supposed to, good, here's a treat, good, here's a treat. Well, she decided, well, if it works for animals and wild animals and exotic animals, <laughs> maybe it'll work on my husband. So she was saying how it drove her crazy that he would leave his dirty laundry, some dirty underwear and socks all over the place. So she decided instead of keep nagging him and nagging him about this dirty laundry, the one time he actually picks it up out of you know a month, you might do it once, she'll say a positive comment, come and give him a hug and a kiss or something like that. And so to try, and then she said over time, it eventually led to him trying to make a, a stronger effort to do that. And so for, for people like, what y'all are talking about. It's something that I'm, I'm obviously good at it. I, uh, I, I, I don't think I've ever actually applied it once, but 
Uh, I just, it, it came to mind. <laughs> it came to mind because y'all were talking That's a great idea because I found that same thing to be, to be more proactive in, in expressing, yeah, expressing gratitude. I think that in a lot of homes, we express a lot of discontent and we express a lot of, you know, you didn't do this, a lot of negativity. And instead of expressing, you know, gratefulness. I mean, everybody likes to live in a home where, you know, they have positive feedback. Gratefulness. Positive reinforcement. One of the things that kept occurring to me as we went through the different scriptures is that a lot of things we're told in the Bible don't happen instantly. Correct. The thing that came to mind was where we're told to take every thought captive, and if it's not for God, we need to get rid of it. You don't do that, just decide to do it one day, and it happens. You have to practice it. And see, that's why everything we're told takes practice. We're going to be practicing marriage until Jesus comes back. You want to practice it where good results eventually come, and what he just said is one of the ways where you can begin to get good results. And as she was talking about the where the pots go, I thought of what would my tools go out in the garage. One of the reasons I like tools in a certain place is if I've got a job to do, I need to go get them so I can get started on the job. If it takes an hour to find them, I've wasted an hour taking care of something. Well, if the other side doesn't understand that, there's no hope that there's going to be pots and pans where they're wanting because there's no understanding of why they need to be there. But beginning to practice some discussion about why it's going to be that way, towels, pots, or tools, is a way to begin to get results you want because there's a reason there. And the other side understands, I don't want it just because I want to control the house. I want it because there's things I have to do and that helps to do. You remember when we talked about you stay out of the garage. Yeah. <laughs> remember when I mentioned Romans twelve two earlier today? We are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then we can test and approve what God's good and perfect will is. Uh, go back to my Diet Coke and and uh, cherry root beer. Is that all right? Uh, cherry Dr Pepper. <laughs> cherry Dr Pepper. Uh, boy, I had to put that out of my mind. I didn't, those Diet Cokes had to go. But then the, I don't like, I didn't like Dr. Pepper, but somebody shared a cherry Dr. Pepper with me. I thought, That's not bad. But see that as a, in the present active tense. Now, I, I like the cherry Dr. Pepper now, <laughs> but I had to prove that it was all right. It had to hit me right. That's why that verse is in present active tense in the Greek. We are being transformed. We're in the process of being transformed as we renew our mind. Does that make sense? And as I renew my mind and change my thinking on some things and begin to put some of those things into action, then I'm testing it. Does it work? If it works, I approve it. Thank you, Lord. I'll do it next time too. Does that, you understand that? Did that, I don't know if we answered your question or not, but we got a lot of discussion about it. <laughs> Basically, we just need to discuss more and talk about it. 
I just think um, because I have buttons with the whole spiritual part of fighting, yeah. I just want to be heard and not super spiritualized. Sure. I think if we discussed I think that's more right. either ahead of time or behind, then we would be better off than just throwing God in the middle of it. Because it's not that I don't want to pursue God and seek God as high yeah. as It's just that I don't want you to throw God in the middle of it. <coughs> yeah. One of the things we're going to talk about a little bit later is some of the baggage that we come to marriage with and what needs to happen to some of that baggage. Okay? Is that all right? And you have to remember, preacher's daughters are different. <laughs> we're, we're, the, we're the bad kids. <laughs> yeah. As far as, as far as a good time to pray, we had a pastor in a previous church. Didn't make any difference if you were walking down Main Street in Dallas at one of the major cross streets and you met him in the middle of the street. He would stop and pray with you. He would just reach out, take your hand and says, let's pray. Traffic could go every which way. He didn't care because he was talking to God about you. Okay, and see, that's exactly what I was saying earlier. I was going to win the world the first few years. See, I didn't care about my family. Now, I, I hate to say that, but... But we already knew it. You knew it. See? Yeah. <laughs> I have a question. If you have um, a, a serious area where you're um, going to give forgiveness to your spouse, and um, we talked earlier about once you've that when God forgives you, He then forgets it. So that's where we want to go. We're forgiving something. The unfortunate thing is that you sometimes see the consequence continually. Mm -hmm. That the consequence of whatever that was that you're forgiving. Yes, I forgive that act, but there's a consequence that I see mm -hmm. month after month after month. Okay. How do you forgive can, that? You want me to talk to her? You guys want to? Well, all I can say is. Just remember, women have a long memory. <laughs> I don't need a memory. I see it. Yeah. Well, in that yeah. But you, you Are have you to. saying they quit, they quit the thing and it's long consequences from the thing or they're still mm -hmm. doing it? No, the, the act oh, is just, done, oh. but the consequence is still reoccurring. Well, this, he doesn't say we'll cover the scars. We're going to talk about next time, next session, about forgiveness. Can we, let's just talk about it now. Is that all right? What is forgiveness? Wiping the slate clean. Wiping the slate clean. Giving up the debt you feel owes you by the offense. Giving up the debt that somebody, you think somebody owes you. Forgetting and putting in the sea of forgetfulness. Okay, forgetting it. So you, uh, you release the person of the debt, but then you wish them well in God. Okay. I feel like um, this kind of blending the two topics is sometimes like husbands are getting the, the, the brunt of the unforgiveness of the, the wife towards her father. Um, and so like things that her father did that she grew up with, now her husband's re or that he didn't do, now the husband is reaping the consequence of the father's mistake. That's exactly right. And so, like, I'm, I'm just saying that because I kind of relate that to, I mean, 
you, you mentioned your father a couple of times, and it yeah. seems like there's some stuff there, and I know that and, we've and had that in our marriage, just to be kind of transparent here. But, and that's why in, in the next notes you will see we're going to talk about some of that baggage that has to be broken. You've heard the term deliverance. I don't use the term deliverance very much because many circles it's got a bad connotation. I use the term set free. It's the same thing, but in my terminology, it's a positive thing. I want to help people be set free from those negative things that they've grown up with that have had such an influence in their lives so that then they can begin to think differently. Remember we mentioned strongholds earlier? Uh, the way we think because of how we were raised, that's become strongholds. Now, there's some good strongholds, but there's some bad ones. And uh, praise the Lord for the good ones. But I want to help people get out of the bad ones. Break them in Jesus' name. Take the authority Jesus gives you. Break them so you can be set free and begin to find healing and restoration so that you don't need to react or act out of those strongholds anymore. Does that, does that make sense? Uh, let's wait just a little while to deal with that a little bit later. Is that okay? Okay, were we on this yeah. forgiveness? Yeah, we're still on this. <laughs> um, one of the things the Lord's been working in my life actively is nothing is unforgivable. And work on your side of the street and realize there's a spiritual warfare going on that's trying to make you recall the event over and over again. And there's... I believe there's a spirit of unforgiveness that tries to encourage you to hold on to it. And um, so I think allowing, allowing God to heal your pain is part of forgiving the other person. Or forgiving, is part of forgiveness is letting God heal you and giving all your pain to Him. Because we can't forgive. It, it just makes you realize how much you rely on him because you can't forgive without his help. We can't. You know, and I think sometimes God brings you to a point where you really need him. Yeah. And forgiveness is m more for us than the other person. You forgive the offense that, that was created, <coughs> but, but that doesn't do a thing for inside of you. And, I, and I've had this firsthand, you know, forgiving him, but I don't forget anything that went on, you know, well, and then you have to go through this process. I don't ever want him to forget what he did that led him to a certain place. Remembering those things can keep you from going there again. But my resentment can build through all of that and it doesn't help me a bit so the forgiveness is for me it's for me to take the process and go through lord now i i pray in your name satan get out of here don't bring that to my mind again you're on you're in foreign territory this is not your place to be and you just have to keep practicing 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 just like you do anything else every day, a hundred times a day. Mm -hmm. Every day, every day, every day. Until 
it begins to ease off until all at once you you remember, oh, I haven't thought of that for a long time, and I'm not going to. Yeah. That's you know that's that's over. That's gone. I, I've been dealing with it, and God's dealt with it. And don't you think in dealing with forgiveness, when you hear other testimonies of extreme forgiveness, it's like you know when you're a kid growing up, you think you have the worst life, you know, but then you hear about all these other children that are suffering or, or you see, or you even think you grew up and had it rough. And then you hear stories of other people who have gone through much more tragic things than you've had to go through and you're thinking, and look how good they're doing. You know, I think when you hear stories of extreme forgiveness, I think there should be more testimonies of forgiveness just as much as people's healing yeah. testimonies yeah. because that's part of healing too. Yeah. And when you hear that, you think, okay, all this stuff happened to him. Like Joyce Meyer, for example. You know, she had a lot of terrible stuff happen to her. Yet she's walked through forgiveness. And I think we think our situation is the worst ever. But there's always something worse. And if we focus on how other people have conquered it and gone through it, I think it's encouraging. It kind of pulls us up to a different level, you know? Well, all the suffering Jesus went through at the end, all that he went through and still at the end, he forgave How many of you heard the testimony by Mary Smith about the person who shot her? Yeah. And then went to jail. And, uh, Mary and I, we've been connected for a long time with Mary. I suppose, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, 15 years probably. Anyway, she's a manager of a mortuary. And uh, I suppose how we got connected, she called church to see if I well they came to church she and her family came to church I mean I don't know she, she's had that. a bad life and all that but she knows how to forgive mm -hmm. and when she forgave that person who shot her she released him and as far as she was concerned she let it go and she was healed of the pain and hurt yeah there we go thank you thank you fellas go ahead and sit down just for us ladies. I guess you get, you get to sit in her lap, huh? <laughs> yeah, sit on my lap. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit more about forgiveness, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Luke 4.18, Jesus says, I came to heal the brokenhearted and set the captive free. Wherever there's a broken heart, there is captivity of some form. Thank you. Wherever there's a broken heart, there is captivity in some form to some death. Let's say here's a spouse that got mad at his or her spouse and had some real harsh words. It cut that heart, didn't it? Did it? We've all been through that, one form or another. It cut deep. Now, you can go and you can say, I forgive you. I choose to let you off the hook. But don't you ever do it again. Is that forgiveness? What did Jesus do? How did he do it? He says, I choose to forgive you and let you go free. It did not depend on future experience. Or future condition. It was simply as that that thing that had gone on 
I choose to let you go free. Here's the way I like to explain it. I choose to put that person in the hands of Jesus and count them as one who has never sinned against me. Now that's a lie. We know it is. Because they have sinned against us if they've hurt us. Right? To some degree. But I choose to put them in the hands of Jesus and count them as one who has never sinned against me. That's about as far as many people go. The second part is, I now have to be healed. If I'm not healed, it's going to come up again and again. Well, yeah, you know what you did back there. You know how you hurt me back there. But if I'm healed, it surely puts it this way, I can be so healed that it doesn't need to stick in my throat any longer. I know it's happened, but it doesn't need to pain because I'm healed. When you get a sticker and it festers, and pretty soon you're able to pick it out and it heals up, does it still hurt? No, it's healed. But it leaves a scar. It leaves a scar. But does the scar still hurt? No. No, doesn't need to. Does it? Now, as long as there's festering there, it means it's not healed. So you can say, I choose to forgive you, but if I'm not healed, see, it'll come up again and again, in my experience at least. I may let you off the hook. Now, next time, in a little bit, we're going to go at it this way. I think that two, a husband and a wife can come to the place to forgive each other and let everything of the past go free. And count them as one who has never sinned against them. And be healed from all that hurt and that pain. Now, one part of the marriage, one, either the husband or the wife, it's hard to do it alone. Really hard to do it alone. But it really is easy if it's teamwork. I choose to let you go free. Now, I think when you both make that decision together, you are agreeing then, I want, to hold, I want to allow you to hold me accountable to help me change so that that never needs to happen again. Boy, you're making yourself vulnerable there, aren't you? You're saying, I won't get mad if you hold me accountable for that. If you come to me and say, uh, you know what you did? I, I think it's getting about there again. You're right. I'm sorry. Now, what happens when you agree to let somebody hold you accountable? What happens? You're volunteering to yield to submit. Woo! Which is just, that's how we started the whole day today was submit to one another. Right. I mean, Christ has called us to right. yield to Him, and therefore, if we're yielding to Him, we're going to voluntarily yield. It's submission is not a demand that somebody else puts on you. Submission is something that you internally volunteer to do for the benefit of another. And when a husband and a wife can agree together, you see... Boy, the ball game's half won there. 
because you're both going to let each other hold you accountable. Is that good? Very good. Thank you. Who else has got a question or something to add? We had a different question. Um, the generic version of this question is how do you feel about keeping secrets to uh, keeping secrets from your spouse? And like an example on one side of it is let's say uh, a friend shares some information with one of you and you feel, well, you know, this was kind of between me and this friend. Like for example, I encouraged a friend to be bold and uh, ask her sister out on a date. <laughs> so that was, that was a, a true situation. And I, I felt that I didn't want to tell her about it because I didn't want her to talk with the sister about it right away. I wanted to just leave it to see what happens. Um, but What did happen? Well, he, he eventually did ask her out on a date. They went on a date and then they they both felt that God was leading them in different directions. So, but they went out and they tried. So I was grateful for that. Um, but, um, but just overall, how do y'all feel about just the, the keeping, withholding information from each other? Short time, long time, bigger one. Who wants to answer it? It's not good. It can hurt a marriage very much. He withholds a great deal from me. And it hurts. Having worked in the marketplace for many years, there were many things I did not discuss with her. They were of a business nature. But uh, she seemed to think I needed to tell her everything. And uh, we didn't have that much time, <laughs> generally. To... I'm talking about now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure she would want to hear all of it. Well, secrets, <coughs> secrets are a bad thing, and yet, you have a friend, you have an acquaintance, somebody comes to him for counseling. They tell him something, he better keep his mouth shut. First of all, I don't want to hear it. You know, it doesn't involve me. But he needs to know as well as the person who comes in, that if I say anything and it's supposed to stay within the walls of this office, I've got to be able to feel safe to meet him again and know that he hasn't thrown black to everybody in the company. Because all you have to do is hear it from one other person and you know where it came from and you never trust him again. That's the big thing, it, it undermines trust. So you have to be very careful. You can say to your spouse, well, he told me something that I cannot, I, I told him I would not share. It has you know, nothing to do with us, but you'll have to understand that I'm gonna keep his confidence for now. Uh, I don't intend to ever break his confidence. If it becomes necessary, I will. But you know, most of these things are, well, I haven't spent $500, you know, and I'm not telling him. Well, that's going to bite me sometime because it is going to, it's going to have to be on the plastic so, because I've got that much cash. 
but you know, it's it's going to come up. It's going to come out somewhere, and and if it if it you know it just will, and it's going to hurt. It's going to undermine the marriage. When can I ever trust you to not spend overspend what we got in the bank? Well, that's never been one of the problems. We never had nothing bad to do. Anyhow, but there are other things you know that that you can keep secrets. And if it's just not absolutely essential, don't do it. Uh, even, you know, someone who comes in and acts in it certainly, he's got one gal who used to work with him and she'd say after that, whoo, that's wolf bait. Okay, he should have a clue right there. Don't ever meet with that gal alone because she's up to no good. So be careful, you know. But if he doesn't take that, you know, she wanna pop, she do. Honey, pastors are safe territory for any loose woman. You know, they're well they've got to be nice, you know. But you can cause a world of trouble in their in their lives and undermine marriage. So be careful with secrets and what you tell other people you won't say. If you don't want me to share it with my wife, don't tell me. Well, there's some things he has to know, and I just don't want to know. And many of you know, some of you who met with me know that I usually don't meet with a woman alone. I have two other women that help. Yeah. Very good. I think keeping stuff from each other uh, makes you feel like you can't trust the other one. Yeah. And uh, Michelle and I went through that, and we uh, got to a place where there was a lot of stuff I was keeping from her, and I really didn't want to tell her, but I knew it was best for our marriage. And so I came out and I, and I told her, and it was really difficult. It was really hard. And then she did the same thing, and then we kind of came clean on all the things we were holding, uh, you know, that we were just keeping from each other. And it just, it, it really healed us in a way and made, it, made us to where our marriage was stronger, you know, and, and I just think it's good to be open. And like something my brother, like I've tried to come to him before and tell him something that I didn't want him to tell his wife, and he would just tell me right off the bat whenever I said, hey, we're married, we tell each other everything. So if you're gonna tell me, I'm gonna tell her, we're both gonna know. And so, you know, and so I've kind of taken that to heart too. Not so, well, now I'm telling you, bro. It's the same thing with us. If somebody tells me something, I'll tell her. I mean, if we, if we need to keep it in confidence, then that's fine, but we don't keep anything from each other. And I think it's a lot for marriage, so. I think uh, Shirley and I really don't have many secrets from each other. But I do not tell what people tell me in the office. I tell them when they come, uh, this is a safe place. I will take notes because I'll not remember from one week to the next. So if we meet again, I want to know what we talked about. <laughs> but I keep it in the file, it's locked up, and I'm the only one that has a key for it. Uh, I have at times shared some things that Shirley will say, no, I don't want to hear it. Because she knows it's something that, uh, in order to keep that a safe place, now, the Lord has given me grace in a way that I've never imagined in these last three or four years. I forget what people tell me. <laughs> That's age. Some of it might be age, but you know I can see a person on Sunday morning, and maybe he or she has shared terrible lot of gunk with me, and I can't see that. The Lord has helped me to forget that. Now, I can reread my notes the next week when I have an appointment with them in the morning before they come in. And I said, wow, I guess, yeah, look at that. I remember that now. 
But the Lord has given me grace to not remember when I see people on Sunday morning or out in public. And I just thank Him so much. That's important to people. They've got to feel loved and they've got to feel safe with the people. You can't do anything on the board of Him today, you know. Because I hear, I hear a lot of things, as some of you know. <laughs> I got bruises. <laughs> I got beat up one time. The yeah. <coughs> old demon took me from a little young lady. <laughs> anyway. But they've never, nobody's ever come to his rescue yet. They stay out. <laughs> they won't come in. They hear it all over the building. <laughs> they say, we're praying for you, but they don't come in. <laughs> <laughs> particular um, maybe it's good well it's always good to pray but if you are wondering whether you should keep a secret or not go to the Holy Spirit and ask the Lord and read scripture and let the Holy Spirit convict you and tell you right from wrong to as a you know really first thing to do most of the time when we keep secrets, I think, it's because we are ashamed of what we did or we want to hold it from our mate because we know they won't agree with it. Am I right? Many times when we hold secrets, we, it's because we don't want to let them know because they wouldn't agree with what I'm doing. I remember we were involved with the Toronto Revival and we're up there for, as counselors for a week. And we leave their team for a while. And through of us from the Dallas area that went. And I only remember once that as we were praying for people, you know, this is a matter of course going through the line praying for people, that a guy said, I need to tell you a lot of things that I've done and it's, it's not good. And it was involved, and I don't even remember now what he said, but I remember the time. Oh, I said, stop right there. Because anything you tell me, I can be subpoenaed for in a, in a room like this, where there's hundreds of people. So I said, wait until I bring someone to you that you can go and talk with. Uh, there's a, you have to be have your antenna up to know when to not listen to somebody that somebody else who has more authority in this in the situation at a church level I think that will you need to turn over to them. Now I yes. I just want to ask a different question, but go ahead. Go ahead. No, go okay. ahead. I was gonna ask about uh, friendships or fellowship with members of the opposite sex for the spouses. What has y'all's policies been on that? I didn't understand why. Uh, is it good to have friendships with the opposite sex or not? That's what you're saying, isn't it, Anthony? Yeah, I'm just asking, it, 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 when is it appropriate? Is it appropriate? What has the policy been? To have a close friendship with... Not necessarily close. Could be like, is it appropriate? Like, let's say you go to home group for a man to fellowship with another man's wife and a wife to fellowship with another man's husband, vice versa? If they're just visiting in home group, yes, it's fine. But not to 
go out together or anything like that. Now, I hug many men in this church, and many of you know that. And he hugs many women. But it's just a, a love and greeting. Well, when I was teaching a Sunday school class a few years ago of um, adult singles, I was making calls, visiting with them, and I got into a situation one night where a young lady that I was calling on asked me some very pointed questions about her sexual relations and so forth. You know, that's a difficult situation to be in. And uh, I had to pray about that after it was over. But, uh, so I think it depends on the situation. You have to be careful if it's casual, that's one thing, but it could be much more than that if you're not careful. And I think if, if you wonder about just a casual relationship, and if it isn't something that you wouldn't pull your wife into to listen to, if it's something you don't want her to hear, then you better be careful. You're on the wrong road. Uh, because I'm sorry, fellas, you're pretty blind in some areas. And women have antenna, and they can catch the innuendos from another woman long before you do. And we know, a lot of times, what they're up to. I mean, it's no good. Now, and they're, oh, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, tell me about it. I've seen too many of you. Uh, you know, and, or somebody who comes up, Oh, I wouldn't do anything like that with your husband. You know, get your hands off of him then. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you why I asked. It's because, like, um, we made the policy at the beginning of our marriage that we wouldn't have friends on the opposite No, that's. And it, it's been a pretty good policy. And, um, yeah. But there would be occasions where, like, let's say I was in the line at Starbucks and I struck up a conversation. Um, with someone reading their Bible, you know, a female, and then it leads into like where God starts, you know, speaking through me or vice versa. And it's like, I, I felt like, you know, that was God introducing me to a sister in Christ and, you know, giving her a word through me or vice versa. And maybe that happened to my wife, you know, uh, on occasion. And so, you know, if I come back and share that with her, then, you know, um, you know, I may bother her, you know. I think you just, we need to be very careful, both men and women, just very careful. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's going to use everything he can. It may seem like the most innocent thing at all, but if we're not careful and we're not alert, the enemy will turn it around for his purposes. Well, and you can all pick up that we are not the same. He is full of mercy, and I haven't got a merciful bone in my body. And so we don't, that's the reason I don't counsel with him. You know, he believes anything everybody tells him. You know, I can't be, you believe that? You know, and, so I, I'm not good in the counseling room. I stay out of it because, because of that. Uh, we're just different. Uh, I grew up under suspicion, and that's it's woven into me real tight. But there are times when you, you know, just keep that story going for a while, and then you're going to believe this, you know, 
doesn't add up. Uh, he's going too far afield, jerking back. Uh, so we're just very, very different. I don't know why the Lord ever put us together. But we do. <laughs> I'm gonna say well, I'm, wait. the way I'm wired. I mean, I, I, I can't do a one-on-one with another woman for any Whether that's texting, email, face-to-face. I mean, at some point within the time period, because the way I'm set up, a need will start getting met that's own reserved for my wife. And yeah. so, um, our conversations with the home group, in group settings, but nothing one-on-one. Texting, email, Starbucks, I mean, at some point in time. I, I think that's why. I, I mean, at some point in time, whether you want one or not, you're gonna start getting a need met that's reserved for your wife. Yeah. And just, so just stay away from those. Well, how about let's do this. Um, ask one question. Okay. New subject. Go okay. right on. What I'd like to know, wrong person, what is the one thing that each one of you all got out of your marriage that has kept you married so long? What's the one thing that kept you guys together? Did you all hear that? Yeah. What's the one thing that we got out of our marriage that's kept us married so long? Without killing each other. <laughs> the Lord. <laughs> Beverly, you want to start? The Lord. The Lord. If we had not had the Lord in our marriage, and if we had not known from the very beginning of our marriage that there was no back door, then, yeah, we've had problems. But we worked through them. Jared? My parents and her parents both had long marriages. Both of them were married over 50 years before they lost a partner. And uh, with that as our example, uh, we had no reason to think that we should not have the same type of lifestyle that they had. And uh, as she said, we have had our problems, our arguments and disagreements, but they were not terminal by any means. They were things that we worked through with the guidance of the Lord and support of our Christian friends. And I think the evidence of the validity of marriage is something that has sustained us over the years. Well, I'd have to agree with Beverly. It was the Lord. It was the Lord that put us together because it was in a dumb situation. (laughs) I was engaged and I met her and she was working on it. I was working on somebody hard. (laughs) (laughs) It had to be the Lord that put us together and I figured if he did and he knew us that well, you know, he had to have answers for stuff because we were going to need a lot of them. Yeah, I think that's... We knew from the beginning that there wasn't any back door. Now, I grew up in the home. I never heard an argument. Never heard an argument in my home growing up. They, they worked out all their difficulties. I don't know what they were, but I never heard an argument. Never heard a swear word. 
never any drinking, no smoking. Nobody was criticized. A lot of pats on the back. In fact, we have a joke. We've had it for years. We couldn't go to the bathroom without Mother giving us a kiss first. <laughs> so that's the kind of home I grew up in. I surely didn't grow up in that kind of home. Mine was just the opposite. And so we've had, I won't say we've had conflict, but we've had to understand each other because of that. Well, your folks just didn't argue about things. It wasn't that they didn't have problems with it because your mother's talked to me <laughs> but she didn't tell her own kids. Yeah. She yeah. didn't go, didn't take and pull the family into something that, you know, oh, he didn't do this. But a lot of times it was as they got older uh, and they began to have health problems and things that, things that just threw her crazy. One, the one constant thing in this family that we all had trouble with was with the septic system in the bathroom. <laughs> and, and that brings out the worst in everybody. <laughs> but, but there has been conflict between them over that. And, you know, I had the best mother-in-law that ever lived. Uh, she was much closer than my own mother ever was. And I still miss her because we could talk about anything. I could say the same thing. I had the best mother-in-law <laughs> that ever lived. So. Might be interesting to know that uh, I was born and raised down near Austin, and Beverly grew up in Oklahoma and was living in Oklahoma City, but we met of all places in Phoenix, Arizona at church and uh, fell in love from there. And uh, we've been married now for a little over 60 years, so I guess it's working out. <laughs> I just want to ask a final question and just say thank you to all you four for your wealth of experience and sharing. And this is something that Yvette and I have longed for in all our previous churches for the older generations to mentor the younger generations. We've needed mentoring and, and discipleship from people that have been there. And I appreciate everybody's comments too, just the body of Christ, you know, sharing its wisdom here um, and being encouraged. But I just want to ask, a you know, my final question would be, would you guys do this again? You know, because I'm just, well, I feel like if I'm, it's one thing to do this and I feel charged up right now, I feel encouraged in my marriage, but, you know, Another four weeks, I might need to recharge it. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be on the website. Uh, I had a question. What if your what what if your mother-in-law doesn't want your marriage to work, and she wants her, she wants her son back, and she wants the marriage to not work out? So how do you? Is there any in the spiritual sense? Would there be, if we have not received our blessings, will there be any kind of curse that will affect the success of our marriage? Did y'all, are y'all hearing that? And how do you, where do you draw the line? Okay. Can I speak to that? Is that all right? Yes. Why don't, I want to thank you both for being here. And uh, you're welcome to stay through the rest of it too, if you like. I'd like. Okay. <laughs> Uh, 
Why don't we shift gears and you guys go sit down over there? Is that all right? You want to pour off. He doesn't want to share anymore. <laughs> what does uh, Ephesians 5 24 say? Somebody read that. Somebody read that out loud, would you? Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, read the next verse. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Alright. Now, I'm old-fashioned, Okay. Uh, I'm oh, as oh, almost as old as these two, okay? Not quite. Almost as old as these three, because Shirley's got me beat a few months here. But <laughs> husbands, you are the one that either makes or breaks the marriage. I believe. I believe with all my heart that you, husbands, are the ones that has to take, has to be the protective shield over your wife. No matter what's happened from your parents, your background, or hers, it would be so great if both a husband and a wife had the full blessings of both of their parents, both of their sets of parents. It'd be tremendous. And some of you do, I know. But many others don't today, especially in your situation. I know you've shared a little bit about it. The only way that it's going to work, I think, is if you let her know that she is more important than mother and dad. Good, good. I, I thought you did. But you see, it's tough. Because here, in, in that type of culture where dad and mother are the rulers more or less They're, he's stepping clear out of the accepted thing of his culture that's hard that's terribly hard you know that but it's only God's grace then that can give him the strength to still love mother and dad but there has to come the point where he, his wife has to be first so he needs your prayers. I just want to shed some light into her question. Because I think more than my reassurement, her fear is uh, that my mother might be praying against her. See, we don't have much of a relationship for, me, for yeah. her to worry about with me yeah. and my parents at the moment because we're, mm-hmm. we need some space. But she's so worried that my mom is cursing her or praying yeah. against her, and you know she's worried about the impact. Okay. And, and that she cause I fall sick the next week. Okay, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about in just a little bit about the curses that are coming down through the generational line. Okay, you see, curses can be broken by the power of Jesus. Galatians three thirteen says. Jesus became a curse for us. Aren't you glad? And as a result of that, there is no curse that has come down through your generational line 
I don't care what it is. You name any of them. There is no curse that Jesus hasn't already taken care of. You know how curses work? Let me just explain a little bit. If one generation, let's say, well, let's say alcoholism or addiction. Let's just say addiction of any kind. Let's say dad was addicted to alcohol. Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6 says that God doesn't want idols. Is that right? The second of the Ten Commandments. It says, I'm a jealous God. I want you to worship me. I don't want you to worship idols. But then in the very next verse, God's Word says, The sins of the fathers will be visited unto the children, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but unto a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God's Word is saying that He gives Dad the responsibility of making God central in the home. If there is something other than God central, let's take addiction here, for instance, that's an idol. Now, it doesn't say that the kids are going to have to pay for Dad's sin. He's going to have to pay for his own, for making an idol in in that home. But it does say that the kids are going to suffer the consequences of that, that idol. Now, the enemy is going to exact payment somewhere along the line, and that's where the kids come in. They'll they'll have problems. Many of them will have addictions, uh, probably rejection of some kind because if dad was a drunk, he was off all the time, and so there's that little girl growing up in that home that doesn't have a daddy. Here's this little boy that needs daddy to help him be a man. He's not there. So... For whatever reason, that addiction has become an idol in that home. And here the kids now are beginning to suffer. The enemy is going to exact payment from that generation, from the next generation, from the next generation, clear on down until it's covered by the blood of Jesus. That's why Galatians 3.13 is very important for us. Jesus became a curse for us. You see, the enemy is going to exact payment until we break it because of Jesus and what he's already done on the cross. That's why I'm just, I use the word alcoholic. I'm not saying your dad's alcoholic, okay? But let's say somebody's dad, is there anybody whose dad has been an alcoholic? Anybody? Okay, several of you have faced that. That's an addiction, and that's a curse on your generational line. But you have the authority as a Christian, like we talked about a little while ago, to come against that enemy, the enemy of the demon of addiction, demon of alcoholism, or whatever you're dealing with. I command you in the name of Jesus, because of the authority Jesus gives me, get out. I break your power because of what Jesus has already done on the cross. And from this moment, from this moment, the door is shut. To you, you will not carry out your assignment anymore, devil and demons. In Jesus' name. How's that sound? Amen. Now, you have that authority. Take it. I don't need to help you. I'd be glad to. Probably half of the people I meet with, we do that. Because of things that have built up through the years that they've faced. 
many of them curses because they've come down through the generational line. Take divorce, for instance. You know, several of you, almost half of you, have come from divorced homes. Your parents were divorced. That's a curse. Break it. Okay? It may not have shown up in your life yet, but the enemy is trying to undermine and bring it about. Uh, take, uh, well, take lying. Lying can become a big stronghold, can't it? If lying was a part of your dad, for instance, or your granddad, it's going to come right down to you. Break it in the name of Jesus. You lying spirit, in Jesus' name, I command you by the authority Jesus gives me, you will not defeat me anymore. I cancel your assignment. I shut the door to you in Jesus' name. Does that make sense? That's, that's a very good question. I feel like it's it. Now, this is me, okay? I think Dad has to have the responsibility and take that authority. If Dad doesn't, I think the Lord can help Mother, but I don't think it works as well as with if Dad takes that responsibility because God has given Dad the, the responsibility of, of the headship of the home, whether we like it or not. Right? If he's powerless and doesn't even understand that he has that authority, then I think grandmas and grandpas can can pray and believe and stand in the gap. I'm not. No, let me rephrase that. I don't think it works as well as if Dad was able to. I think it's powerful though. So do it and stand there and keep doing it. But you see, the, the perfect situation is if somewhere dad would begin to understand and take that authority that is his through Christ. Okay, now I say that through Christ because you've got to be a Christian or it's not going to work, see. Wayne, I would have to respectfully disagree with you because the scriptures say that, that with, in Christ there is neither male nor female. And she has the same authority as a Christian as an unbelieving father. It almost seems like in the culture we put a lot of emphasis on fathers and that's good because mm -hmm. there is a, a, a big lack within fathers, you know, in, yeah. in the church and in America. But an unbelieving father doesn't have the same authority as a believing grandmother. Okay, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree. With you. That's, that's why I said do it. Stand the dad was a Christian and did. I, I, I don't want the impression yep. to be given like there's almost a, a sense of helplessness until that father comes okay. around and decides to go because everything you are teaching us is that the believer has it. Yeah, and and I don't mean to imply that female. her prayers aren't effective. No, I don't mean. That. But it would work so much better and quicker, I think, if dad could come to that. Well, the consequences but, that the unbelieving father or the passive father or, mm -hmm. you know, the one that's not praying, the father that's not praying over his children or the next generation, the consequences are still there. Yeah. It's going to be more difficult for a, a, a son to be raised up, but, you know, Christ, yeah. is, Christ is the head. 
Yeah. Christ is the husband mm -hmm. of, the, of, the, of the wife whose you know, husband yeah. has, is not tending to those responsibilities. You know, we see what it is. It's, it's still there. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I agree with him. It's still there. Because yeah. the, you know, the Lord intercedes on our behalf. Sure he does. And the Spirit intercedes on our behalf in groanings and ways that we don't even Amen. know how to express ourselves. And, and aren't we glad? Thank goodness, yes. yes. Thank God. Praise God for that. Can I um, just tell her, too, I don't know how long you've been married. Um, we've been married 10 years, and my, uh, one of my in-laws actually called the preacher and asked the preacher that married us not to marry us. Um, oh. He was the third child, and his mom really didn't want him to get married to anybody, much less me. But I knew that going into it, and we still decided we loved each other and that we were going to make it work and that we were going to have our family. And he did a great job at sheltering me and protecting me from yeah. her and basically saying, this is our marriage, Mom, and you can take it or you can you know, leave it. And she had a hard time with it. And from the beginning, I started praying about it and felt rejected and hurt at the beginning. But then the Lord really spoke to me early on in our marriage and said, you know what, you should love her. Just mm -hmm. love her every chance you get. And you may have protective distance, and that's good, and you need to follow whatever he says to do because he's the head of the household. But if you ever get a chance, speak blessings to her, love that's her, good. That's pray good. for her. Because yeah. now, that's two years into it, she comes over twice a week and plays with my kids. We still have our issues, and I still have to have boundaries, but she knows I love her. So... Every mm -hmm. now and then, you know, if she says something mean or hurtful, I'll say, hey, don't forget who I love. Okay. I married your son, and I love your son. And she knows that, and she also knows I love yeah. her unconditionally as well, even though she treated me horribly. So they know that, and they're reacting out of their hurt, their insecurity, their pain, and their loneliness. And if you can see her through those eyes and how Jesus would see her, it'll help you when you feel like she's cursing you and pray, pray blessings on her. Just counteract that. Just pray blessings because if she's if she's truly doing that, which I don't know if she is or not, if she is, think how much she's hurting. Yeah. yeah. I'd recommend for you. Oh, go ahead. I'll say, how do you protect her? Because I know people do send nasty thoughts, and you can end up physically ill from darts of the enemy. So in the meantime, how does he protect her? Okay. I would recommend this. Okay. Tonight or whenever you want to, I'd recommend that you pray something like this. Father, we take authority right now in the name of Jesus over any curses, any spoken curses, any things that are being prayed against us or against you in Jesus' name. I break it as the head of this home. And I declare in the name of Jesus they are null and void. They are of no use as of this moment. And I just cover you now as you're speaking to your wife. I just cover you with the blood of Jesus. And we apply the blood in our home. And it's the shield that's going to keep us safe. Something to that effect. You have that authority, see, as, as the head of the home. And this ought to give you encouragement, too, see. And you have to believe it. That'd be Yeah. 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 You brought up something kind of interesting. Um, in some of these cases, like alcoholism, you'd, you'd know about it. Can you just pray for just all the cur like there will be curses you don't know about? Yep. You can just pray. Here's here's how I do it. If you come and see me, uh, we write down all the curses you know of, and I ask, uh, let's ask Jesus to reveal those. So you write them down, and then you go through them one at a time. In the name of Jesus, we break that curse. I don't do it. 
I get, I lead the person to do it. Some of you've been in to see me because I don't have any more authority than you do. If you're a Christian, I want you to do it. So at three o'clock in the morning, you don't need to call me. <laughs> you can do it. Do you have one where you like you prayed there? You kind of said just all curses. Do you have like a just because there's some sure. there's some we just well, won't be aware. Of. I just we deal with the ones we know. And then uh, somebody will say, well, there's probably more. I said, okay, in the name of Jesus, we just cover every single curse that has come down through my generational line. I break it in the name of Jesus. Jesus, you became a curse for me. Every single one of them. Therefore, they're all destroyed. They're all of none effect anymore in the name of Jesus. Something to that effect. Okay. One thing I've been doing for my family and my kids and, I, and I've done for myself is I'll bind any I'll bind what spirits I see that are in action like rebellion or whatever and then I I break any I bind any spirits that would hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in that person's life okay and, and then I feel like that kind of covers anything I might be missing good, or, good. Um, aren't we glad God knows it all mm-hmm. even though we may not be able to remember He knows it He sees it Look at the last session, section here in your back page. Uh, we've been thinking, and Shirley and I have been praying, what do we do here? But here's what I think would might really work. Uh, if you're a husband and a wife, a husband or and or a wife, It'd be good if both of you were here. If not, one of you are here. Praise the Lord. You can still do it, Holly. Uh, Recognize a stronghold. Before a drunk can get any help, he has to admit, yes, sir, I'm a drunk. Is that right? If he says, well, no, I, I can handle my liquor. But then he gets drunk two or three nights a week. Uh, But when we recognize a stronghold, that's the first step. And uh, I don't know what they are. Each of us have different ones. Let's say, let let me just, let's say control, okay? That's a, that's a biggie sometimes. Control's a stronghold. Let's say, uh, well, let's just say the, the wife. Is that all right? No, let's say the husband. So I, won't get in trouble when I get him. <laughs> let's, say, let's say the husband is a controller. Now, the Bible does say, as I've already said several times, that God has given the husbands the responsibility of being head of the home. But, it also says that the wife is the helpmate. And if you remember, verse 21 in Ephesians 5 is, we submit where? To one another because we love Jesus out of reverence for Christ. Isn't that what it says? And because I love Jesus and I submit to one another. But the wife allows the husband to be the head. So, admit the stronghold. Identify it, whatever it is. Let's say the husband's that controller and he just has to have his way. If you're a wife, and you've told him that over and over again, or you've tried to tell him and he just doesn't seem to accept it, then you back off. 
But we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit will help him to accept that. Okay? I'm just using this as an illustration. Is that all right? But recognize a stronghold. Now, secondly, admit your part in it. How does it affect you? How does it affect your family? How does it affect your relationship? Continuing with uh, control, it just causes hurt feelings. It makes my mate feel like she's not worth anything. Okay? Then I'm going to have to do something about it, aren't I? But also my mate's going to have to do something about it. So we choose to forgive and let your mate go free. Now, is my mate going to forgive me for all the times that I have been so harsh and so dogmatic in my attitude of control? I can't answer that, but you can. So apply it to any, any situation. I'm just using this as an illustration. I think... The husband and wife needs to say ever so often, is there anything I'm doing that I should not be? Or is there something I need to be that I'm not? Uh, I ask Shirley that once in a while. Um, I think it's important that our mates be able to share with us anything that's going on that they feel like. you're not being heard or she feels like she's not being heard maybe you know that's been mentioned several times here today okay choose to forgive and let your mate go free now I mentioned earlier in the area of forgiveness the first step is put that person in the hand of Jesus father I forgive my mate you know what he or she did I choose to put her in the hand of Jesus. And Lord, with your help right now, I count her as one who has never sinned against me. Boy, that's hard. Because you see, you're getting in godly territory now because that's how God, through Christ, forgives us. Now, Father, that hurt that was there, I ask you now to come and heal it. I open up my heart, that hurt, that pain, and ask you to reach down deeper than the hurt is gone and heal it. Total healing, Lord. I don't want any of it left. Now, if you're doing this as a couple, then you're saying in number in point D there, please forgive me, has built into it the idea, I want to change. Does that make sense? Now, if that's not built into it, it's going to be right back to where you were before too long. Okay? That's why I'm saying it's so important that as a couple you can do this. If it's just the one, you can still do it to a large extent as you look at your mate, if your mate isn't here. But, oh, it's so much better if together you agree. Yeah. I choose to forgive you. I'm going to let you go free. And uh, I'm not going to bring that thing up again. See, that's point F. Well, let's do E first. I can forgive you, but I may not trust you. 
Why don't I trust you? Because trust takes a track record, doesn't it? Well, you've let me down so many times in the past. And I'm so afraid you're going to do it again. I'm ministering to a couple now like that. Oh, it's so hard because of the hurt and pain. I don't think I can trust you yet. Well, what do you do then? What would you do? Big question, isn't it? I can't trust you because you've let me down so much and it's hurt so badly. I'm afraid that it'll continue. Then you need God's grace. And with His help, if you're allowing Him to heal the hurt and the pain, you can say, with God's help, I want to choose to trust you again. Now, if you're doing it as a couple, you see, you're admitting I'm at fault, but Lord, I want with your help and with my, my mate's accountability for me, I want to be able to change. I have people at times ask me, well, would you be an accountability partner for me? And I say, well, probably not. Because you know what it would take? You're going to have to level with me with everything you've done. Now, if I allow Shirley to hold me accountable, I'm going to have to say to her, whatever you want to bring up, it's all right. Understand? Anything you see in me that I need to change, I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to rebel or respond negatively. I want you to do that. Now, if a couple can do that, boy, the sky's the limit. Growth can come in that relationship. Can't it? Uh, because you're saying, I, I don't care what you say, how, how you, or, or what you bring up. I want to be accountable. I want you to show me my blind spots so I can change. Oh, that's right. That's right. But see, at, at the same time, yeah. All the men are going. Don't don't beat her over, beat him over the head. See. But see, at the same time, she's saying that to you. Would you do that to me too? Isn't that neat? If you can have that agreement together, that you want to be so open to each other, you can't have secrets in, can you? Does that make sense? Surely, anything to say on that? Next, commit to never bring that past event or failure up again. Now, Holly, you shared that a little bit. You see, when you forgive somebody from a past thing that they did or didn't do, whatever the case was, you would like to say, now don't do it again wouldn't you? But you are judging them then. And you're saying, I'm not guilty. Understand? I think the best way is, well, the best way is for both of you to be willing to say, I don't need to bring that up again because I know when you're asking to, me to forgive you, 
you're saying that with God's help, I want to change it. When your mate isn't here, it's more difficult. But I think you can still say, Lord, I believe you're at, working, you're at work in his life. And I'm going to trust you to bring about change. Does that sound like it might work? You see, God knows everything, doesn't He? Aren't we glad? You commit to never bring that past event or failure up again. Now, what does that do for somebody that has failed in the past? When you know your mate has made that commitment that it's not going to be brought up again. What does that do to you? Boy, that is freeing, folks. That is freeing. And then you're free to trust the Lord and make commitments that are necessary so you never need to do it again. Sound good? Next, uh, I've already said, permit your mate to hold you accountable. That's important. Accept what she or he says. That Again, don't beat them over the head. That's not accountable, see. But it's, I feel like this is, needs to change, or, or I wish this would change. And uh, then, accept the healing provided by Jesus. Praise the Lord. I used Luke 4.18 earlier. I didn't finish on it, though. I got sidetracked somewhere. Wherever there is hurt and pain, wherever there's a broken heart, there is some form of captivity. Do you believe that? Wherever there's a broken heart, there is some form of captivity. The only thing that can happen is, first, I ask Jesus to heal my heart. Heal that hurt, heal that pain. And then break the captivity. If it's fear, uh, let's say fear, okay? Fear is not of God, you know that. Second uh, Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. So break that spirit of fear in Jesus' name. I've seen people set free just like that. Now, I never could snap my fingers, so I can go through the motion, but I never could there. Thank you. Ready, go. Right now, fear can be broken in the name of Jesus or whatever else we're dealing with. Call it by name if you know what it is. Fair enough? Rejection. Maybe you've had rejection as a little child. You've grown up with it all your life. And so it's hard for you to not feel like that your mate is kind of a slave driver or something else. Rejection can be broken at a moment of time. And, in, and healing can come. I'm so glad. Any questions before we talk about the last one? Questions? Watch. Go ahead. What do you think people are thinking? Like, there's a reason why people bring things back up. You know, remember what you did. Don't ever do that again. Mm-hmm. They gotta be. They have to think it's doing some sort of good. Yeah, I feel like it's more fear. 
than anything else. The fear that it won't work. The fear that I, I'm not, not sure I can trust you because you've hurt me so much in the past or you did that so many times. Or I'm afraid it's going to happen again. I think that fear is involved so many times. Does that yeah. does that speak to you? Okay, John. If we keep bringing up some past failure, or haven't we really not forgiven them for that? That's right. And as a Christian, shouldn't we be concerned about that when right. the Lord tells us that He'll right. forgive us in the same way we forgive other yeah. people? Yeah, that's right. So aren't we really kind of sticking our own heads in this? Yeah, we are. <laughs> I like that. Sticking our own head in the noose, that's true. Jamie Wax says that um, uh, having unforgiveness in your heart is like drinking poison and hoping somebody else will die. Yeah, that's true. There's a quote guy, yeah. the freedom of Christ, yeah. and it's kind of yeah. like, well, that sounds kind of dumb, but yeah. it really is because the person who is holding the unforgiveness is the one that is getting sicker, yeah. and you know, they're the ones that are going to be tormented, really. Mm -hmm. Listen to uh, Ephesians, now to Colossians. Verse 13 in chapter 3. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How does the Lord forgive you when you ask forgiveness? He never brings it up again, does he? Does he? No. He says, I forget it. That's what God is asking us to do with somebody else. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now that says whatever grievance, I mean it, however big or small, and when we forgive, we're letting them go free. And we don't need to bring it up again. The Holy Spirit will do it if it's needed. Can we trust Him? Can we trust the Holy Spirit to do it if it's needed? Or not? I think we can. I think we can. Might not be as quick as we, we could do it, but uh, it'll probably be better. Then, move on together with confident assurance that God wants to build you and your marriage much, much more than you want it built. Now, I don't know what you think about this, but I don't think any of you are married in here today but what God brought you together. It may be your second or third marriage, but at this point, God brought you together, I believe. Now you take that and you run with it and you're going to have the best time of your life from now on. God brought you together. He doesn't want to see you fail. He will not do it for you though. Hear me. He won't do it for you. But boy, when you're ready, boy, He's right there to meet you. Give you all the strength you need. And uh, more, much more than you need. Any question? What was that last scripture you just read? I, I missed Colossians 13. Oh, Colossians uh, 3.13. Oh, yes, 3.13. 3, 
Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I have one more question. Um, what about a kind of practical matter? Sometimes I'm trying to think about, and I'll just make it like, say one spouse charges a bunch of stuff on the credit card. Mm-hmm. And then you might say, okay, you know, if we give you, we're going to work it out. We're holding the credit cards. But then they'd say, well, if you've really forgiven me, you just give them back the credit card like it never happened. Is there sometimes a practical matter where you try to work on something? Or like I, a kid on drugs, you just say, well, I trust yeah. the Holy Spirit will just... Yeah. Like, or do you just I, think there, I think there has to be some practical things you do just, in order to walk out truth and walk out commitments. If there aren't, you're opening up the back door to the enemy to do whatever he wants. Yeah. Sometimes you just pray, and if you see a practical, just way to I think, like, block provision I think for the, that habit or provision for the mistake. Uh, cut up the credit cards, but now listen, don't don't just grab it from your wife and, or your husband and cut it up right there. Say we've got to do some things together. Let's agree together. Here are some things we need to do. Does that make sense? Because if you do it and the other person isn't in agreement with what needs to be done, you're going to have conflict. See, That's where you need to be the team. Whether it's, well, anything. Anything. You need to be the team. Well, like if you, um, for instance, notice that like television and entertainment has become an idol in your home, mm-hmm. is it all right for you to go ahead and take leadership of the home and just throw it in the trash? <laughs> Surely, maybe we better go home. <laughs> Okay, let's let's do this. Uh, <clears throat> wherever there is an idol, whatever it is, you're spending too much time on the TV, you're spending too much time on the computer. Uh, now, see, I don't spend much time on the computer because I was born 40 years too soon. <laughs> I know how to get email. Well, I can have one kid, one daughter that I can see that she has mesmerized by the television okay. in a way that the others are not. Okay. And I am as well. Me and her share that. And okay. I'm worried that I'm going to pass that down to her. And it's it's going to affect her very, in the future. Very likely. And yet, because my wife and my other daughters don't have the same struggle, it's been just by work. I did do that, actually. I threw out our TV uh, about three years ago. And then... Four years ago, and then for, so for two years we went without a TV. We talked to each other more. We read more books. We had better fellowship. We had better. We were stronger in our relationship with the Lord. And then I got vulnerable last Black Friday. Flat <laughs> <laughs> screen, you know what I mean? And so now it's crept back in. Yeah. It's crept back in. And it's not TV. It's only internet. No, it's movies. We got Netflix, okay. and okay. so we watch movies <laughs> and TV shows. Okay. And it's okay. affecting one of my daughters. And I'm, you know, okay, I'm, then let me make this recommendation. Together. Together. Talk about it. Decide what needs to be a good form of action. And do it together. Okay? When you say together, you mean like the wife and the... The, the, the husband and the wife the together. Not the kids. No. <laughs> No, don't don't bring the kids into yeah. making the decision. Yeah, no. Uh, you too, Yvette and Anthony. You do it together. See, decide what is best. Yeah, I'm not sure you need to throw the TV out. 
Jesus said, pluck your eye off. I can deliver you from your flat screen. <laughs> but, but listen, listen, do it, do it this way. Do it this way. If you're together, if you're together and you agree together that there needs to be some changes, together dis- decide what's a good course of action. And then stick with it. Maybe just watch it a certain number of hours. Maybe say three nights a week. I, I don't know. But but you two need to do it, see. And if you two are doing it, you're in agreement together. And the kids will see that. Okay? They need to see that mother and daddy are, are a team. There are timers. Yeah. Where you say, okay, what? I'm going to allow myself so much. I mean, we're doing the same thing with like eating out. But, but I feel like I'm, what I'm going to do then is I'm saying, okay, I can have an idol sometimes. That's a good question. Well, but, 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 I grew up, I never tasted alcohol. I never in my life tasted beer. Until I was in high school and somebody spiked a Coke and gave me a drink and I didn't know it was in there. It's the only taste of beer I've ever had. But I made the commitment as a little boy. I don't smoke, drink, cuss, or chew, and I don't associate with those who do. (laughs) Now I had to change that in seminary. Because in my first year seminary class under Dr. Robert Coleman, we had to go into 10 bars and witness to people. And boy, that was like pulling teeth for me. I had never been in a bar in my life. We had one bar in town and I always walked on the other side of the street when I knew I had to go that direction. (laughs) And I I still believe I'm not to drink. Two times I've had alcohol, I've had wine when I had communion because I was in a certain church that had that type. But uh, you can make the commitment together that here's what would bring honor to God and you can keep it. I believe it with all my heart. If we can't, we're in trouble, aren't we? If we can't, you see, we've got something that we need to break. There, there's, a, there's some baggage there that I need to break in the name of Jesus. But if we control something like that for the sake of the Lord, yeah. is it really still an idol? I don't think so. Haven't we put the Lord kind of on the front seat? Yeah, I think we've said, Lord, that you know, you know what you want with this area. And just guide me, and I want to please you with what I'm doing. So he's still first? Yeah, I think he's still first. What do you do when you can't come to an agreement? What if they can't come to an agreement on he wants to throw it out, she wants to keep it? That's a good type of situation. Okay, what let happens then? Give me a call. We're <laughs> <laughs> well, three in the morning. Uh, bring, bring, bring somebody else in to help. 
to help make that decision, help you make that decision, I think. Yeah. Would you like in that situation to the one with the meat sacrificed to idols where the people had freedom to eat it, but sometimes people that have been worshiping those same idols, they were free to see the pastor eating that meat? That, that's a good illustration. That's a good illustration. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good illustration. I had a fellow tell me one time, well, this was after seminary because I'd learned to go in bars by then. <laughs> we came out of seminary and I was appointed to a church in Wichita on 21st Street. If any of you know 21st Street, there were a lot of bars along there. And we had a lot of conversions in the bars. So they'd see me in the bar. And I had somebody sometime confront me. I saw you go in, mm-hmm. Joe, not Joe, I don't know whose it was. <laughs> said, yep, but somebody got saved that night. So I think just bring glory to God. Just want more than anything else to let Him show you how to act and react. Do it as a couple. That makes sense? If you can't agree, ask somebody to come and help you to make some decisions. Trust them enough to, to just be able to speak truth into your lives.